I've found all over the world um, things are happening and there's um, they talk about paradigms and it's the modern in word I mean the modern in word in the world used to be um, synergy and you know everyone now that you go anywhere in America that is paradigm we need to really look at things and I just want to spend some time now if you're like the Bereans you can search the scriptures and see whether what I say is so uh, if you're as noble as them um, because I believe we need to really examine what we believe why we believe it and we need to be open uh, to see if I'm doing something wrong let's put it right let's not carry on in it because that was the way I was brought up hey uh, we all need to learn we all need to go on and I think one of the things that worries me about the church today is people seem to congregate only with the people that agree with them and they don't want to hear from someone who disagrees because they don't want to face the trauma of actually having to put their life right or readjust their lifestyle uh, and if, if you um, get people together one of the things I can't understand is you can't have uh, heated discussion now I find people are, uh, are too insecure to do that uh, when you're mature you can, you can afford to do that you can contend earnestly for the faith you know what you believe you know where you stand and it doesn't matter if someone comes with a contrary idea you can deal with it uh, I want to deal with the paradigms the old and the new and um, just bring these ideas to you Christians do not need to compromise their faith to meaningfully engage in the thought currents of the day uh, one of the problems is that people are saying today you've got to change your ministry to be in line with what people are thinking uh, that you can't carry on in the old way because you need a new way because the world's changing technology's changing everything's changing so you better change now the old paradigm that's the model of the church taught that if you have the right teaching you will experience God the new paradigm says that if you experience God you will have the right teaching uh, and that is what's happening now we've become an experience orientated church instead of a truth centered church and the modern people that was Leith Anderson said that um, you'll find it in a book the 21st century uh, church uh, the whole thing is people are uh, wanting to say you don't need to study for truth all you need to do is be filled with the Holy Ghost and, and God will lead you into all truth the trouble is if that were true we wouldn't have so many errors and the paradigm is all to do with experience and people go in there and they want an experience and I believe in experiences thank God I was filled with the Holy Ghost I speak in tongues I believe in miracles I believe if you go to a church where you don't see miracles you don't see blind eyes opening deaf ears unstopped cripples getting out of their wheelchair you haven't found a church yet if ministry doesn't bring that about forget it it's a sham doesn't matter don't say I believe in it do it Jesus never sent me to pray for the sick he sent me to heal them that's different and I find too many people do a lot of praying and never do any of uh, what God said, heal the sick. Now, it's really due to the postmodernist uh, thinking. Whether through verbal storytelling, media clips, drama, slideshows, you will enter today's mind, heart, and soul as you use great stories of old to point to the greatest story ever told according to one content analyst um, of scripture 75% of the entire Bible is story narrative 15% is poetry and only 10% is composed in a thought organized format that's very nice of him to tell us that um, 
And it goes on, our presentation of the gospel should likewise use story-rich formats. In other words, stop preaching the word of God and start telling stories. And that is the modern paradigm for, for preachers. They tell people, well, what you have to do is tell a funny story, then you throw a few scriptures in as and that isn't preaching the word of God that is a travesty of what God called us to do um, and then they have um, they have this idea that there's a generation X have you heard of generation X? that's why you get the X files um, they're born, the, I wonder what they were these are people born between 1965 and 1985 thank God I wasn't Now. <laughs> The Xers are turning more and more to their friends as a new family. And, and what it is, is this generation's legacy to our culture may be a return to community. In the postmodern era, the tribal group or community, not the autonomous self, is the essence of existence. And Jimmy Long wrote that. Uh, what's happening is that all these churches, especially mega churches, what they're interested in is getting the tribal groups together. That means if you're a snowboarder, the snowboarders have their own little group. If you're um, uh, someone who plays bridge, you have a bridge group. If you're someone who's uh, interested in flowerage, you've got to... Uh, and they're breaking down into their tribal things. It's interesting to notice that groupings amongst teenagers are usually governed, a psychologist did a study of it in schools, they're governed by the music they listen to. Their tribal groups are actually governed by that. But the one thing that's very interesting is they've gone away from the family and they're making their community out of people that have the same narrow interests and the churches are catering for them. Unfortunately, where has the biblical family gone? So these churches, especially the mega churches in America, are not catering for God's pattern of the family. They're catering for man's tribal instincts. Something's going wrong in the church. It's the postmodern attitude. You see, God said that all families of the earth are going to be blessed by faithful Abraham um, Genesis 12 verse 3 if you want to look put it into the Bible context if you haven't got a Bible you're in trouble um, and it better be a good authorized version <coughs> have to say that um, in thee, all families of the earth shall be blessed was the pro promise to Abraham. Do you know, God's pattern is family. A true church is a big family, and a family is a small church. Uh, and when you go out of that order, you're in problems. And you'll find in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, God has redeemed us to God by the by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth we are made to our God kings and priests now I want you to notice we are not made to each other kings and priests it's to our God priesthood was always to God it wasn't to each other if you're one of these people that has that crazy idea that everyone has a ministry in the church, you're wrong. God has set in the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Ministry is totally different. Ministry is God-ordained, God-given, and man can't appoint himself to it. And you can't teach a man to be a leader. Leaders are God-ordained. You'll find right through scripture, it was God who chose them. And I find too many people now, they think you can train leaders. Uh, and you think you can teach people how to lead. You can't. You can if you want to run a business. You can if you want to run an organization. 
But if it's the church of Jesus Christ, which Jesus is building, you better wait for him to appoint the leaders. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Okay? Um, now, there are contrasting measures of success. Our culture measures success by educational degrees, statistical gains, big buildings, and hefty bank accounts. It's called a prosperous megachurch. They say that's success. And then they try and, you know, they look at Yonggi Cho and think that that'll work for them. It won't. That'll work in Korea amongst the Asians because that's their culture. It won't work here. Uh, but that's the way they like to measure it. Might I say that uh, statistical gains, I learned something. Uh, if you read some of these modern books, you will notice that it doesn't talk about membership of the church. It talks about church attendance. Very important. Now, church growth is based on attendance, not on membership. Now, the reason it's based on attendance is simple. If you have a Sunday morning service, you count how many people come. If you have a Sunday evening service, you count how many people come. If you have a Tuesday service, you count how many people come. If you have a Thursday service, you count how many people come. If you have a youth group, you count how many people come. Add them all together, and you have your weekly attendance. There's a little problem with that. Some people are being counted four times. So, your attendance figures, 30,000, your actual real people, bodies that come, 12,000. And suddenly you see that a mega church isn't as mega as you thought. It's talked about its attendance figures. You need to wake up. If, you, if you've got 70, thank God for the 70. Don't deceive yourself and lie. You don't have to exaggerate. You are what you are. You've got what you've got. Hey, it's better to have 70 than no one. <laughs> Why is it that we think success is statistical and we have this inferiority complex we shouldn't what God's done is wonderful hey if you save someone that's wonderful isn't it <coughs> don't count them five times in a week Jesus said he'd build his church well, I want to go on to the next one oh, today do you know in Galatians 1 verse 6 he said I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel and then in 2 Corinthians 11 4 if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached or if you receive another spirit which you have not received or another gospel there's another Jesus there's another spirit and there's another gospel Paul said to the Galatians, you've gone to another Jesus. Uh, and what I want to know when I meet people, have you got the right Jesus? That's what I want to know. Have you got the right gospel? You see, there's an idea that anything goes. If you've had an experience, it doesn't matter what you believe, the truth comes with the experience. No. Truth comes first and then experience. You have to be born again of the incorruptible word of God. You're not born into a kind of vacuum and then suddenly truth comes. I don't believe that at all. You can't repent of your sin until you know you're a sinner. You can't um, move out of life, death into life, if the Holy Ghost doesn't lead you. You can't be born unless God births you. And he births by the word of God. And we need to return back to the true gospel. We need people who want to live by the true gospel. Spurgeon found himself in this situation and he gave a timely warning. He said he was like Jeremiah. Uh, and he was fed up with the promises of his contemporaries, which were false. And he said, we are only at the beginning of an era of mingled belief and fanaticism. The hurricane is coming. Men have ceased to be guided by the word 
and claim to be themselves prophets. I meet too many people today who think they've got revelation from God. I want to tell you, if it's not in the book, I don't believe it. <laughs> if you can't find it in here, I don't care if they say, Thus saith the Lord, and stand on their heads and twiddle their toes. If it's not in this book and it doesn't agree with this book, forget it. And the second thing is, I will never govern my life by what someone prophesies. If someone prophesies something, what I do, I bin it. If God brings it to pass, then I say that was a word from God. Up till then, I'll do nothing to produce it. If God said it, he better do it. I find too many people, they get prophecies and they type them out and they keep them in their Bible as though it's equal with the word of God. I say that's suicide. That's not the way I believe. I, I, I believe in the word of God. But you see, no one judges prophecy now. They just, oh, someone said, thus saith the Lord. And if it reaches to their ego, they think it's wonderful. As far as I'm concerned, it's terrible. Let me tell you what Spurgeon goes on to say. The remedy. We have only one remedy for them. That's all the evils of the day. Preach Jesus Christ. And let us do it more and more. Preaching is the Lord's battering ram, wherewith the walls of old Babylon are being shaken to their foundations. Preach, 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 till you can preach no more. And then go above to sing the praises of God in heaven and to make known to the angels the wonders of redeeming love. Why don't we get back to just the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ and preach it? And I don't mean a 20-minute little homily and call that preaching. If you don't preach for an hour, an hour and a half, you're not a preacher. You can't expound scripture and scriptural truth unless you take time to do it. And, and we're here to persuade men. We're to get to their minds. We're to get to their hearts. Paul said, I persuade men. The King Agrippa said, Thou almost persuadest me. Paul was, with reason, persuading people of the truth of the Word of God. What we're not there to do is tell stories and get people all emotionally hyped up. Now, God challenges you. You can't repent. You can't respond without your reason being involved. If you look at um, Matthew's Gospel, you'll find that um, when it talks about the word of God being the seed. You remember it falls into the ground? Those that are of the honest, the good soul, are those of an honest and true heart who having heard the word, receive it and understand it. And without understanding, you won't bear fruit. But the one who understands the word bears 30, 60 and 100 fold. The trouble today is people think there's some spiritual magic there's no understanding because the thing's so complicated uh, and it's so emotionally hyped that it doesn't reach to the reason, it reaches to the emotions. God wants you to be a rational being. He wants you to be a thinking person. That's why he gave you a brain. It's a great gift. In uh, the true answer, Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I, I've, on Sunday I've got all my church to keep repeating it. I want you to know, that's how you live. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not every word that's in this book. Every word that proceeds out the mouth. Not every word that's in this book. Amen. Do understand that. Yes. If you think it's every word that proceeds in this book, you'll end up in error. Amen. Do understand that. I'll explain myself. Just in case you think I'm a heretic. Uh, you've got to check. Uh, take the examples of parables. They're illustrations. They're not literal truth. Jesus said, what shall I liken the kingdom of God to? It's like. 
Now it's a parable. He talks about a sower going forth to sow and he said the seeds, the word of God, when he explains it to his disciples, it's a parable. You take that parable and you try and literalize it and you try and take examples out of it, you end up with error. The parable wasn't the truth, it was the principle behind the parable that Christ was explaining. And I find so many people get their errors from parables. You've got to look who Jesus is speaking to, when he's speaking, which dispensation it's in, and what applies to us and what in the new covenant and what applies in the old covenant. A lot of what Jesus said when he was on earth applies only to the Jews, doesn't apply to us, thank God. Jethro, Jethro principle. God didn't say it, Jethro did. Now if you're a fool and you want to believe of the priest of the Midianites and follow his example, then end up worshipping devils. End up appointing leaders over the tens, over the hundreds, over the thousands. That's Jethro. God never said it. In fact, Jethro was honest enough to say, if the Lord tell you so, but he didn't. Moses appointed them and they ended up worshipping the golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai. You'll find years later, God said to Moses, years later, this work's too heavy for you, this people's too heavy for you, and he poured out his spirit on 70. Then the Holy Ghost witnessed, this was his choice. But the nonsense of cell groups comes out of the Jethro principle, God never said it. You say, well, it's in the Bible. Sure, it's in the Bible, but who said it? Understand what I'm saying? Yes. Now take another one, Gamaliel. They're discussing the disciples. Gamaliel gets up in the council of the Jews and he says, well, he says, fellas, if it's of God, it'll stand. If it's of man, it'll fall. God didn't say it, Gamaliel did. It's not a biblical principle at all. But I hear a lot of Christians say that because Buddhism should have fallen years ago. The Jehovah Witnesses should have collapsed almost immediately. What about the Mormons? <laughs> it's not a truth, but a lot of people think it is because it's in the Bible. Hey, who said it? Got to think. And to me, I want to encourage young men to go the right way. I want to see other people succeed. That's all. Uh, I haven't got a, I don't want a mega church because I don't believe it's a church. I want a family church. And families grow steadily. We grow about 10% a year, 12% a year. That's enough. That much, no more. I don't want mushroom growth. We've been going 25 years. We've never had a church split. I've still got people that started with me, they're still with me. I don't believe in the kind of rapid growth. I believe in God. He builds his church, he builds it solid. Uh, and that's what I believe in. And I want to leave something for posterity. Not prosperity. Uh, Okay, the prophetic words. In Luke, chapter 1, verse 37, 36, 37. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then he talks to Mary and he said, Hey Mary, you're going to conceive a child that which is born of the born, born of God. Okay? Now do understand something. When God says it, God does it. She said, Mary said, Be it unto me according to thy word. And that's it. Now, if you're one of these people that's mixed up on the word, logos of God or rhema of God are totally interchangeable in the Bible. There's no such thing as a logos or rhema being different. You'd uh, and as long as you know that, it won't hurt you. You've got to believe the word. Um, not not um, prophetic words. In John 12, verse 46, I am come a light into the world, 
that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. Do you know, if you're sitting there and you reject what God says, you're rejecting God. It's not, you're not just rejecting the word. When you go to a church and someone preaches and you don't like what's said, you reject it. You also reject God in rejecting his word. You can't divorce God from his word. He is the word. And everything's upheld by the power of that word. Jesus goes on, he says, For I came not to judge the world, but to save it, the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a calm, commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Would to God that the people in the pulpit actually heard what God said and spoke that and that alone. Receiving the word of God is the same as receiving Jesus. Jesus' words proceeded from the Father. He said, what I hear the Father say, that's what I say. You know, it says in my Bible, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. To get up and preach and not to hear from God is blasphemy. If you get up and you start preaching and you haven't heard from God, you're a blasphemer. Terrible thing to get up and in God's name speak when God hasn't spoken. It's an awesome responsibility. That's why it says in Ezekiel, woe unto you shepherds. Life is in the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you and he speaks through this book. But you've got to hear him. Okay? Is that fair? Hmm? If you feel I'm getting at you, you're right. Now we've got to abide in the word, not only believe it. John 15 verse 7 says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Isn't that nice? If you want answered prayer, there's a condition. The condition is you better abide in what God says. Let me give you another example of a scripture that says that. Um, it's um, in John's Gospel, says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But it puts a condition on it. The condition is in the verse before, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you don't live in the word, I want to tell you, you're not going to be a disciple of Christ, and you won't come into freedom, and you won't know the truth. It's not a philosophy we have, it's a way of life. Christianity is a living thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have to live the life. You have to walk the way. You have to be what God intends you to be. You need to know the word. In 1 John 5 verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You've got to know, you've got to believe. I look for people, they don't know God. And let me say, the most important thing is that God knows you. I, I mean, a lot of people say, I know Jesus. I say, yeah, well, does he know you? because that's the most important thing. Many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out devil. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He didn't say you didn't know me. And he also makes it clear that those people are those that don't do the will of the Father. 
You need to know the source of the word. John 12 verse 50 Whatsoever I speak therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Jesus would only speak what he heard the Father say. He said, I won't speak of myself. What I hear the Father say, that's what I say. If you're a son of God and God's your Father, I want to tell you where you have to hear. You have to hear God the Father speak. If you don't hear him, you forget it. You're not called into ministry. You have to also know your sonship and prayer. Colossians chapter 1 verse uh, 12 to 14. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins do you know I was delivered from the power of darkness 2,000 years ago when it became a reality when I was born again I was born free the devil is in trouble that's it I don't, I don't know what people want to kind of fight the devil. He was defeated 2,000 years ago on Calvary's tree. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We're a triumphant church. If you're living fighting the devil, if you're fighting demons, it's because you aren't a Christian. Christ lives in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. devil's got a problem when we're around. And when you use the gospel the word of God hey he has no defense Jesus took it all away we've been delivered we've been translated we're in the kingdom of his son now either you're in or you're out I'm talking about living it as I said so many times people come to me and say oh the devil said this the devil said that I said thank you for telling me I never hear him some people have a real gift of listening to the devil. Why don't they get converted? Get converted. I don't What's the devil got to do with it? Tell them. Devil's under our feet. That's why I wear thick socks, so he can't get up between my toes. You know, I, can't stand it when you go into a church and the first thing they do is worship the devil when they get there in the morning. They say, we bind every spirit, every demon. Hey, when I get there, he's already gone. <laughs> Resist the devil, he flees. The last thing you want to do is tie him up so he's got to stay there. Let him go. Get out of it. We're sent of God. You'll find that in John 7, verse 29. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. And I'm not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I'm from him, and he has sent me. You've got to be sent of God. Jesus was sent of God the Father. And he said, You don't know him. God sent me. Glory. He always declared he was sent of God. And if you're sent of God, people might not like you. Well, that's tough. You're there. And that's it. You don't go away. Nothing they can do. God sent me. That's lovely. Now the devil's got trouble. You're there. And if you're sent of God, I tell you, everything will work for you. It's so, so easy. And if you're struggling to be a minister, you're struggling to build, forget it. God never sent you. He said he'll build the church, and that's easy. And uh, if it isn't happening, then you need the confrontation, which is true love. You know, I find so many Christians, especially in America, they don't want to confront anyone. We contend earnestly for the faith. Confrontation is a gift from God. Uh, you'll find that in John's Gospel, chapter 8, uh, verse 54. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, 
Jesus answered, If I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It is my Father that honoureth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. I love it. Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and he said, if I say I don't know God, God I'll be a liar like you are. I mean, that's plain, isn't it? There's none of this mealy-mouthed hypocrisy. Jesus confronted people. He turned to the Pharisees, he said, you're of your father the devil. The works of the devil you do. I said, we'd be Abraham's seed. He said, uh, if you were Abraham's seed, you wouldn't be going about to kill me. Plain, isn't it? Do you confront people? Or are you compromise? Don't want to upset them because, you know, <laughs> multi-faith, multi-culture. I tell you, I don't believe in multi-culture. <coughs> There's only one culture. Either you're a child of the kingdom of God or you're not. If you're not, you're on your way to hell. End of story. And God deliver us from culture. That's why I go to America. They haven't got one. Culture. Good experience. <laughs> Ask Dr. Hay. <laughs> I haven't got a culture. Nor are the British. One thing I found with Benson Ederholzer, I traveled the world with him. I, I knew him for 13 years. We were good friends. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He wasn't an African. He was a Christian. Amen. He might have been put together in Africa, but he was given to the world. And if you're a true Christian, you're given to the world. If you don't get out of your culture and from your kindred, your country, and from your family, you're not a Christian. You've got to do the will of God. And you'll find in Ephesians 5 verse 17, I'm just, I mean there's lots of scriptures I can give you, I'm just taking the main ones so you can see. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days of Eve are evil. Wherefore, and this is the most important thing, be not you unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You better understand what the will of God is for your life. Not what your will is, asking God to bless it, but what God's will is for you. Too many people make up their minds what they want through their ambition and then ask God to bless it. Well, he will, because he's a good God. But that's not the will of God. God wants you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. What's the will of God for my life? Different way of living. All right? You've got to not be a fool, you've got to be wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil, wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You've got to get understanding. You've got to read the Bible and you've got to ask, who said it? To whom was it said? Why was it said? Don't obey man's words, obey God's. That's simple, isn't it? If I were to say to you, I go over to America and the hardest thing I find in my life the hardest thing is to see so many churches gone so wrong. And I sit down with pastors and uh, it saddens me because, hey, all the power of God is available for you. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. It's the good news of redemption. Redemption story. I find most Christians don't even know what redemption is. I've been redeemed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ bled and died for me. 
He took my sin, he took my diseases, he took my bondages into his own body. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He has done everything. He overcame every devil, every demon, every principality, every power. He made a show of them openly in the cross. He's risen, he's triumphant. And all I do is look back to what Jesus did for me. I don't do anything, I don't pray anything, I don't extol anything. He did it all. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. And we need to get back to preaching the grace and gift of God, and away from this nonsense. You know, I, I, I've done a, a course, I did a course with pastors, on spiritual warfare. One thing I make plain, fasting is not a Christian virtue, God forbade it. Jesus said his servants wouldn't fast. I hope you know that. It's a heathen custom. In fact, if you go back to Leviticus, you'll find there's only one day that God instituted a fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement. No other fasts were biblically instituted by God. You know that. Furthermore, they came in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They came to Jesus and they said, why is it that John's disciples fast and the Pharisees fast often and your disciples don't fast? Three times in three Gospels, Jesus said, it's impossible for my disciples to fast while the bridegroom's with them. He said, when the bridegroom's taken away, then shall they fast in those days. And he was taken away from us from Calvary to resurrection. He's with us. He lives in us. Where two or three are gathered together in thy name, there am I in the midst. It's impossible for his servants to fast. Then he goes on in all three Gospels and he talks about new cloth onto old garment, a new wine into old bottles. It's all to do with fasting. It's one of the rituals the Pharisees had that's done away with in the new covenant. And then in Isaiah 58, you discover what the true fast of God, it's not to afflict a man's soul, it's not to hang down your head like a bulrush, it's to get up and heal the sick, deliver the captive, that's the fast God's called us to. And if you want to lose weight, don't eat. But don't say you're doing something religious, you're not. You're a hypocrite. That's what the Bible teaches, but who believes the Bible anymore? I'm writing a book. The title of it is, When All Else Fails, Read the Instructions. If only people would read their Bible, the church wouldn't be in such a mess. And why are people fasting? Because they don't believe in redemption. Because if they believed in redemption, they'd preach it, and people would be healed, and people would be delivered, and they'd preach the truth that I don't have to do anything, he did it all. Jesus has done it all. Hey, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And the idea to, to suggest that the church has to do anything to earn salvation is obnoxious. What about, they say, well, this type cometh not out by, by fasting and prayer. You know when Jesus dealt with the demon. Sorry about that. But if you go back to the old manuscripts, you'll discover that fasting isn't even in the, the Greek. wasn't there. It was added in the third century. Because uh, it was Cyprian at Carthage when they had a, a, a terrible plague. They couldn't figure out why Christians died as well as the heathen. So they added a few things in the scripture to justify their failures. But if you go back to the original manuscripts, you'll discover it wasn't there. Sorry about that, try another one. Say, well, what about Paul? It said he was in fastings often. Oh yes, but that word there in the Greek means foodlessness. It was nothing to do, he had no food. Uh, that's why in the, you know, your two days and a night in the deeps, you'll find there isn't much food around, you know? Can't ring up for room service, can you? Uh, and, uh, you know, people, that, do you know, in the whole of, of, you go beyond Calvary 
and look for fasting in the Bible. It's only mentioned twice. It's mentioned in Acts of the Apostles 14 and 15. It's the only time Paul never taught on fasting at all. But then most people don't read their Bibles. They don't know the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They don't understand the New Covenant began after Calvary. They don't understand that a lot of what Jesus said was Old Covenant teaching. He spoke prophetically about the New, but didn't come in until after his resurrection. Just throwing out a few ideas for you to think about. It's good to think, isn't it? And if you don't think, poor you. Now, if you're like the Bereans, you can go and search the scriptures and see whether those things are so. I'd welcome you to do it. Um, Dr. Hayden, who's our Dean of Theology in the Bible School, and we're, we're affiliated with Oral Roberts University, so we do accredited degrees. Uh, what you need to do is you need to set yourself time because in your life, if you're dealing with the souls of men and women, you better be well qualified to do what you're doing. How many people would go to a surgeon and you find the surgeon, um, when you get into to, you know, the pre-med room and the, he's about to give you an anaesthetic, the surgeon slips in to see you and he says, oh, by the way, I always wanted to be a surgeon and I've read a couple of books on it and you're the first person I'm going to operate on. But don't worry, I've read up on it really well and I feel it's my call. <laughs> Woe unto you shepherds. If you want to get upset, read Ezekiel. All the woes to the shepherds. <laughs> Whoa! I believe with all my heart that it's so important to study. One thing I also believe, uh, God was good to me uh, all the time when I, I, I've been ministering. I've always found older men. I found uh, Adima Shakaran led me to the Lord, a tremendous loving man of God, uh, Demas and Rose. I knew them, loved them. Uh, I've known people like Benson Ederhoser, tremendous man of God, raised 14 people from the dead. When he went home to glory, he only had seven and a half million in his church. And um, started 6,800 churches in Nigeria with the churches around the world. Um, I, I, I mean, he was a man of God. And I spent, I suppose it was 12 years, can't remember, 12 or 13 years, we traveled together, we went to country after country, we preached together. I learned. If you want to learn, learn from someone who knows what they're doing. Get alongside them. Timothy found a Paul. I find today people want to go out in ministry before they've had any real teaching from fathers in the faith. T.L. Osborne, good friend of mine, <coughs> whenever I'm in Tulsa, my wife and I go, spend time with him, go out to dinner with him, talk with him when he's here, we travel with him. He's trying to get me to India, which he'll fail. Um, but uh, I just can't keep traveling everywhere. But um, T.L. Osborne, he's here in um, July uh, with Richard Roberts. They're both here um, for our weekend uh, of GGF. Hey, we're getting the best leaders around the world to come to share, and you can be part of it. Um, Global Gospel Fellowship is just a fellowship of ministers. It's not a denomination. I believe every local church should be autonomous. Every but I do believe in fellowship. I believe in encouraging each other, lifting each other up, and, and really that's what the fellowship is. If you want to be part of it, uh, be part of it. We've got T.L. Osborne coming, it's for four days, we just get together and it is purely to have fellowship together, to eat together, fellowship together. T.L. will share, um, Richard Roberts will share, uh, then we'll sneak off and play golf, because Richard Roberts is a very good golfer, plays off four. <laughs> There's the Bible College, 
We've got a Bible college here, a college of further education. Now, for the pastors, we're doing a course on he the Hebrew prophets. It begins on April the 30th. It's just on Mondays. And for the pastors who come here, it's half price. Uh, we're not trying to make a profit out of it at all. But we have to, because they're accredited degrees, we have to um, pay the fees to ORU. And we have to be honorable. Um, but um, you can go, we've got people graduating this year. My wife's just finished her master's degree with Meadry. And they graduate, and they walk at Oral Roberts in Tulsa. Um, they get their degree there, and they get their degree here. It is properly accredited degree. Um, it's through ATS, um, American, American Theological Association of Theological Yeah, okay, ATS. I know it's ATS. Association of Theological Seminaries. And there are only 200 in the world that are accredited by them. ORU is one of them. So it's top, and it's respected by Oxford, Cambridge. Uh, it's properly accredited. I've just finished, uh, or I'm finishing, uh, uh, a Doctor of Ministry degree. I've got a PhD already that I earn, and I've got an honorary doctorate as well. But I've still done a Doctor of Ministry. Why? Because I believe the day you stop learning is the day you're dead. And you stop doing anything in life. I want to go on. You say, well, you're 57. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? I hope I never stop. Uh, I'm a region over at Oral Roberts University. I go there. Uh, I believe in education. I really believe in it. And if you're a pastor, so should you. The day you stop learning is the day I pity your people. Uh, so that's available. And if you want to ask any questions, Dr. Hayden, he's... Um, translated three books of the Old Testament for the NIV. Uh, one thing I do want to say about GGF, it's there to help. If you get in a problem, I believe in restoration. I believe in helping people that get in a mess, not killing them. I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ needs to learn how to lift people up, not how to destroy them. Learns, needs to learn how to heal. Uh, and hey, there but for the grace of God go we all. Any fool can make a mistake. Huh? And you can make a mistake. What you want is someone to help you. And true fathers in the faith, they help people, they don't destroy them. And so that's what GGF's about. It's a place of fellowship, a place of help. We have a helpline 24 hours a day. And if you do get in a problem, we're there to help. I get a lot of people ring up from all over the world who get themselves in a mess and they know they can get help.